I appreciate your prayer. Um, I had a little sickness and got this cough. And if I were to go to the doctor, I would tell him, Doc, I only cough when I talk or eat. And that's what I do all the time. So um, anyway, um, bear with me this morning. I hope not to be a distraction, but I hope to be a blessing. If you'd like to take notes, I want you to see from this text three specific things that happened on Palm Sunday that I believe are the key to this text. There was a greeting of Jesus. There was an entreating, E-N-T-R-E-A-T-I-N-G, entreating of Jesus. And then Jesus calls for an imitating himself. Those three things this morning I want us to see. I think they're clear from the text. And again, I hope by the end of the message I can give an illustration that will convey the difference between a wave and a worship. And I'm not saying a wave is bad, but I think you'll understand where I'm coming from at the end. Well, first of all, let's look at the greet. And I see five different greetings in our text today. So here's Jesus. He's never been in Jerusalem before, although he's overlooked it with sadness. That's something to think about. Why was Jesus so sad about the city of Jerusalem? You say, well, it's obvious. That's where he was going to die. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we'll see another aspect of that here this morning. But these are the groups that I see that greeted Jesus. You'll notice it says in verse 12, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried. And I'm going to give you these five different aspects of these that greeted him. And I'd like us to think about their motive in greeting, their motive in why they were greeting Jesus. So this first group were people that came from around Jerusalem And they would come on a yearly basis to the Passover feast. And so that certainly was a motive to come. They were religious-minded people. And they came and they, uh, it's pretty clear here that as they came, um, they had another motive. But if you've ever thought about it, What is the significance of palm branches on the road? If you do a little research, you'll find that it was a symbol of Jewish nationalism. A symbol of Jewish nationalism. Now that gives us a real key here. It also gives us a key when we hear what they say. Because not only do they say Hosanna, but they say, Blessed is the King... Of Israel. These people had a motive. They heard, they hadn't been with Jesus, but they heard about the miracles that Jesus had done. Great, great, great miracles. One of the more recent was raising Lazarus from the dead. And so we see here that 
and this is not uncommon, but we see that this group of people really haven't had a motive, and their motive was, we want rescued from Roman oppression. We want rescue from Roman oppression. The Romans were a brutal group and um, didn't particularly like the Jews. There were a lot of Jews. And they felt a constant um, pulling down and pressure to give up their faith in God and follow Roman rule. Don't we see that today all over? See places all over the world where some brutal rulers are trying to take away individuals' freedom. By the way, folks, we ought to give thanks daily that we live in the United States of America. All you have to do is travel a little bit around the world and you will see that um, we are more of an exception than we are a rule. And you see what their cry was, Hosanna, which means save now, but their saving wasn't spiritual. Their saving was political or national saving. They wanted to be rescued from these that were trying to destroy their faith in God. So we see the first greeters had a motive, and that motive was, hey, this may be the guy that will rescue us from this oppression. But then we notice something else. Look at verse 16 with me. These things, the, the, uh, what Jesus quoted there in verse 13 and 14 and 15, which are from Psalms and Zechariah of the Old Testament. And this group, had been with Jesus, had seen all the miracles, had experienced everything that he had done. And notice verse 16. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done, um, that they had done these things unto him. I remind you at this point in Jesus' ministry, And his time with the disciples, Jesus had conveyed on more than one occasion what was going to happen when he came to Jerusalem. But they didn't fully comprehend it. Why do you think they didn't comprehend it? They didn't want to. Why would you want the fellow that you've been around with and you've seen all these miracles done and he's called you and you've, you've just been amazed at who he is and what he's done and the power that he has over nature, calmed the sea, raised people from the dead, took a few loaves and fishes and fed 5,000, and the list goes on and on and on. But they really didn't understand. Their motive probably was pure, but it, it points to the fact that you and I need to be attentive listeners to God's calling and direction. Now, they did not have a completed word of God. They had parts of the Old Testament at that point in time. So, I'm not trying to point 
point blame or criticize the disciples. But you can see, it's clear from the text, they were confused. Now, as we talk about these five groups, I want you to remember these same groups exist today. There are people that want to be religious. Maybe they go to church. Maybe they do all kinds of religious things, quote unquote. But they maybe don't understand the full picture of what Jesus Christ has done for them. I'm afraid there's a lot of people today that are settling for what I call religious compensation. I'll compensate for what I don't understand by just I'll go to church, I'll do good deeds, I'll even give some money in the offering plate. And and the list can go on and on and on. But here were the disciples, and really they were confused. Go with me to verse 17. Verse 17. Here's a third group. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. So when Jesus came from Bethany, where he had raised Lazarus, a number of people followed Jesus. That's who's being addressed right here. And um, they had a motive. And you'll notice it here in our verses that we read. Their motive was to share how Lazarus was resurrected. I don't think there would have been any miracle more significant than Lazarus coming forth. Remember that? Remember when they came to the grave and they rolled the stone away? What was the comment? Oh, don't do that. He's been dead four days. And then somebody, I think it was Martha, who said, and I'm sure he stinketh. And yet, what did Jesus do? Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? He came out wrapped in his grave clothes. And um, what did they say? What did Jesus say? Loose him in, let him go. So, here were people that saw firsthand the miracle of Lazarus' resurrection. And you'll notice they had a, had a motive. They weren't saying, hey, this is the Messiah who's going to die for our sins. They were saying, hey, here is a miracle worker. Listen to him. They obviously had done a pretty good job of conveying. Now, That brings me to verse 19. If you're there in the text, and here's the Pharisees. And they are greeting Jesus with total, I call it jealousy. How do I get that? Look at it. The Pharisees, verse 19, therefore said among themselves, so they're talking in their little group, perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? You know what they're saying? We can't do anything like that. We're supposed to be the religious people. We're supposed to be the godly group. We can't do anything like this man can do. And then they make quite a prophetic statement. The world has gone after him. 
Now, we know that the world wasn't going after him right here. But do you realize in Kansas City, Missouri, we're part of that world that went after him. Sought him out. Can you remember the time that you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Remember where you were? Maybe you might even remember what verses were used or you saw that convinced you that you were a sinner. There was nothing you could do to please God on your own. And you had to do one thing. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's the promise of the Bible. That's the promise of Scripture. So you can see here that the Pharisees were jealous. They were very much concerned about, we're going to lose our influence. We're going to lose our power over the people. These people aren't going to listen to us after they've seen what this Jesus has done. But the last group is, to me, the most interesting. And I find them in verse 20 and 21. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. What do you find interesting about that statement? When the Bible talks about Greeks, it doesn't speak derogatory, but it it does say what? They're non-Jewish people. What purpose would they have in coming to the Passover feast? Well, it could be that they converted to Judaism. The Bible doesn't tell us anything there. But I love what I read in the text. Look at the end of verse 21. Oh, you remember they go to Philip. And although I didn't remember this, Philip is a Greek name. He's the only one that has a Greek name of the disciples. So they come to Philip, verse 21 and, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, here's what I love. Sir, we would see Jesus. It would appear that their motives were pure. It would appear, by all accounts, that they genuinely wanted to know who is this Jesus Christ. That is really the message of Christianity. That's the ultimate question. Don't you wish people every day asked you the question, say, listen, could you tell me who Jesus is? (laughs) Talk about a door opener. Boy, that's a door opener to give the gospel. And here they are, and they really want to know who is this man. They're not Jewish. They're there at the feast And you could have been in Jerusalem and not been at the feast of the Passover. I understand that. And that may be the case here. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But the one thing that it does make clear is that they had an honest desire. So that leads me to the second thing. Those were the five different ways that Jesus was greeted. Now I want you to see how uh, he entreated them, how he ministered to them, how he wants us to hear him today. And here is the key. Look at verse 23 to 28. Anytime 
your Bible has words in red, they are not more important than the words in black. But they do say that these are Jesus' direct words to, in this case, this group of people, and today to us. And you notice Jesus identifies that the hours come. Now, he has said that kind of thing before, but this is literally, what, five days before the crucifixion and seven days before the resurrection. And here we are, and he makes this statement um, that the Son of Man, that's a term for himself, should be glorified. But notice he gives an agricultural example. And obviously that they were very agricultural there, so you can understand it. This is so significant. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. I was just reading about the flooding coming down from Nebraska, Iowa, into Missouri, going, maybe you've heard about it, Missouri River. And it showed a farmer that had these big, huge silos. You know what I'm talking about? And these all appeared to have a concrete foundation and be big metal silos. And I heard the interview, the farmer said, well, the price of wheat has been very suppressed. And so I kept it in these storage bins so that I could wait for the prime time when the price goes up. Makes good sense. Except when the floods came, you know what happened? It showed pictures. There wasn't any metal. The foundation was still there, but the metal was all gone. And then the camera guy went out to a field. It was the neighbor's field, actually. Went out to a different field and showed this huge pile of rotting wheat. It couldn't accomplish anything in that silo. And it couldn't accomplish anything rotting on top of the ground. What did it need? It needed contact with the earth. In this case, it speaks of death. And here's the, really the point of what Jesus was saying to them. Here's the way I wrote it. Death is the path to fruitfulness. Death is the path to fruitfulness. And I want you to see a number of things that Jesus conveys about death. Look with me, if you would, at verse 23. The hours come that the Son of Man should be glorified. First thing you need to see is Jesus' death brought him glory. Remember what God the Father said? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God wouldn't have been well pleased if Jesus wouldn't have gone and sacrificed himself for our sins, would he? No, but God was being glorified by Jesus being willing to die. Isn't that the opposite of what we think? That is so contrary to man's thinking. We can see why people can struggle with this whole thing about Christianity. But it's the very foundation, is it not, of what's going on? And and if we want to bring glory to Jesus, 
We need to be dying to ourselves. We'll talk about that in a minute. Notice the second thing. Look at verse 24 and 25. Verse 24 and 25, the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. That's why I said death brings fruitfulness. Without death to our own will, we're going to be alone and we're going to bear no fruit. We know people, don't we? that seemingly are wasting their life. Life is a waste because it has no dying to self. The world is enamored with finding something that will give them purpose, will give them joy, will give them what they want, and they're trying all kinds of things today, aren't they? You name it, extreme, there's all kinds of extreme sports and extreme things and drugs and alcohol and you could name all kinds of things. Trying to bring happiness, trying to bring joy. But literally, dying to self is the only way that we're going to experience the joy. Don't you you find that to be true? I was recently talking to someone And here was their question. Pastor, I am really trying to find joy, but I can't find it. And I said, well, tell me about it. And so we had a a lengthy discussion. And, And you know what the problem was? The problem was basically this. We're never called in Scripture to create our own joy. We're called in Scripture to glorify God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. What glorifies God? Not me focused on myself. In fact, this person concluded, you know, I'm being selfish, aren't I? Isn't that amazing how Satan can subtly work to have us focus on ourself? I just want joy for me. Pastor, just help me find you. Where's the button? What's one verse? That'll just really give me joy. And we, so we talked about, you know, what does glorify God? Well, esteeming others better than ourselves. Meditating on the word of God brings great success, Joshua 1.8 said. And the list, we talked about a number of things. But isn't it interesting how many times we're striving for something that isn't really the goal? But we'll find that something when we, do the, when we target the goal that God wants. What's Galatians 2 say? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the faith, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Death is the way to fruitfulness. But I want you to see a couple of other things quickly here. Look at verse 27. Jesus still speaking. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
But for this cause came I unto this hour. First part of 28, Father, glorify thy name. Can I say something about dying to self? It's hard. You say, duh. You don't have to tell me that. I know. I know. But have you ever noticed that nothing worthwhile in life comes easy? Are you aware that dying to self? And doesn't self show up every day? I don't know about yourself, but myself knocks at my door every single day. This is what I want to do today. It's what I like. You want to learn about selfishness, young people? When it's the right time, get married. And you'll find out how selfish you are. And if you want to go beyond that, after you're married, have your first child. And you'll really see how selfish we are. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful or unkind, but isn't it the truth? We all struggle with wanting to do what we think makes us happy. Death is hard. It was hard for Jesus, and it's going to be hard for us. His soul was troubled. Save me from this hour. Is it possible? Praise God. What did he say? No, no, no. If I'm going to glorify God, I've got to experience this hour, not avoid this hour. In another place, he said, if it possible, let this cup pass from me. What did he mean? Let this crucifixion, this brutal dying, not happen. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, there's death, but thy will be done. So I don't want you to sit here this morning and say, oh, he made it sound so easy, just die to yourself. No, it's hard work. It takes discipline, it takes commitment, and it it isn't dying one time, is it? It's dying minute by minute, hour by hour, dying to ourselves. I want you to notice something else. Look at verse 31. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. I think it's significant that Jesus' death expelled Satan from his rule and reign and dominance. He is a defeated foe. Aren't we glad? Absolutely glad. Think about this, though. The devil is constantly trying to get us to be selfish, do our own will. Do you realize that you and I have the privilege and opportunity to get rid of that influence by dying to ourself and surrendering? Gabe preached on Romans 12, right, Gabe? One and two. Present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God wants us to die to ourselves. You say, well, that's, that's hard. We agree. But that's where the blessings come. Would you agree? Young people? Listen up. Your question ought not to be, what do I want to do when I become an adult? 
Your question ought to be, God, in prayer, by I'm saying, God, what do you want me to do when I grow up? You're looking at someone who didn't say that early enough. Waited way too long, way too late. Say it now. Say it when you're young. Lord, I want to do your will. By the way, he's not trying to hide it from any of you. He'll make it clear. It's a day-by-day opportunity. I noticed something else. Look at verse 32. And I, Jesus speaking, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now the scholars debate whether that means lifted up on the cross or lifted up in resurrection to heaven. I don't think it makes any difference, honestly. The truth of the matter is, you know what death does? It draws people. How does that work? Have you ever noticed when you humble yourself, you endear yourself to others? When you get proud and haughty and stiff-necked and it's got to be my way or the highway, what happens? Polarization. Who wants that? Last thing. Look at verse 35 and 36. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you, speaking of himself. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. Jesus, this death, death brings light. Death brings life. You remember when you trusted Christ as Savior? You said, Lord, I am a sinner. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I'm not comparing myself. I'm not saying I'm better than somebody else or I'm worse than somebody else. I am a sinner and I can't get to heaven on my own. Lord Jesus, you promised. It's not how I feel this morning. It's not how I look this morning. It's what I believe in my heart. That you died in my place. Do you remember the, the light that came on when you acknowledged who you were? You experienced the joy of the Lord? I hope you've had that experience this morning where you can say, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. Now, look at verse 37. Maybe one of the saddest verses in the Bible. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Many didn't believe. I'm glad the the chapter doesn't end there. Go to verse 42. 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Here was the second group. They believed, but they were intimidated. The fear of man bringeth a snare. They were ensnared by that. But the last group, look at verse 44. 
Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not in me, on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. In other words, I am from God. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus is calling us to not only greet him with pure motives, not only to entreat him with honest questions and really get to know him, but he wants us to imitate him. Imitate him. And how do we imitate him? The context of this whole passage on Palm Sunday is we imitate the Lord Jesus by dying to ourselves. Here was the illustration. Do we just wave or do we worship? I uh, enjoy walking and I particularly like walking outside. I've had enough of the treadmill this winter. I've enjoyed getting outside, walking outside in these pleasant days. There's two walkers right here. Same, you agree? Um, And so when I walk, I wave to people. They're driving in the car, you know what I'm talking about? You just wave. And so I'm down at spring break in Spartanburg, South Carolina. My son, who's a pastor, has five kids, and they like to walk. And the youngest one is, how old's Kate? Five? Five years old. So she has to really work at keeping up with the older ones and myself. But we're walking, and um, pretty big neighborhood. And so I'm just in the habit of it, so these cars drive by. I wave. Finally, one of them says, do you know those people? (laughs) To which I honestly respond, I have no idea who they are. (laughs) Why'd you wave? Just being friendly. You know, Missouri's a friendly place. That's where I'm from. Do you realize that all those groups of people that we looked at that greeted Jesus, most of them just gave Jesus a wave. Maybe they were waving their palm branches. I don't know. And you know what? They recognized who he was. They heard reports about him. But there were very few that really worshipped him. Do you see that from the text? This is Palm Sunday. This is one week from his crucifixion and resurrection. And the question really comes to us today, this morning. Are we just waving at Jesus, like to know about him? Or are we really coming to worship him because we have a relationship with him? If you worship someone, you know what that says? I'm down here, he's up here. I don't know all the answers. He knows it all. I don't know the way to go. He knows the way that I should take. You know why he came? He came to be worshipped, not waved at. Are you worshipping him today? You say, well, I'm a believer. I've been saved for 40 years. You know, I was thinking about that. That's my story. Actually, more than 40 years. 
But you know what? I think there are times when the busyness of life, the distractions in life, made me more of just a, hey, Jesus, how are you this morning? Instead of taking the time to worship him, to really get to know him, to spend more time in the word. What do you got planned for this week? Holy week. You got planned to really review in the gospels. They record this event. I happen to read from John today, but you can look at it in other gospels. How about it today? Nothing wrong with waving and being friendly. But if you really want to get to know somebody, you'll go far beyond waving. True? Time, talents, treasures. No question. I am going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it all for me. So I don't know this morning what your heart condition is. But I hope if you see yourself as a waver, oh, I just kind of know him, distant. I hope this morning you'll draw nigh, because here's a precious promise. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Put God first by worshiping him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes?